Blog Talk Radio. It's a gridiron stud show and a promo that's got the flow. Football knowledge from toe to toe with Amo, Calamino, and the other host. You already know Chad Wilson brings you the show. Dial us up. Give us a call. We're waiting here to talk some ball. 347-633-9365 is the number to call. So don't sit around. No time to stall. Giving you football from wall to wall. And now we give you our two hosts, Amo and Chad, with your breakfast toast. Chad Wilson, Amo Calamino here with you to uh, wrap up the weekend of college and NFL football. And again, if you're hearing the echoes and I sound like I'm in some kind of chamber, again, I'm in the new studio and uh, working probably in the next day or two here. We'll try and get that cleaned up for you folks. But as long as you hear me and you know what I'm talking about, then uh, continue to tune in. Uh, My man, Amo, you're crystal clear over there. Am I crystal clear? Can you hear me good? Can you hear me now? As always, crystal clear. And uh, the two of us are going to bring it all down for you. Uh, The weekend that was on the gridiron in college and NFL football. Hey, well, where do we start? Dak for president? Can we go there? It wasn't looking that way. I've been taking – last night I was fielding some some, – Short-term thinking processes of Cowboy fans, and, and listen, I, I understand where they're coming from, but I think Dallas is trying to stick to a bigger plan here, which is try to win right now and, and at the same time build a long-term, you know, sustainable-type uh, team. And you're going to have nights like last night with Dak Prescott, so what was impressive was he didn't get frustrated, and at crunch time, down the stretch, he completed his last five passes in a row to win the game. I mean, it was a tough game. You, uh, did you watch it last night? Were you able to see it? Uh, I saw a good amount of it. You know, I couldn't see the first part of it, but I, I, I saw a good amount. I mean, Schwartz is a good defensive coordinator, and he had a good plan, and I think that's probably something that, that a good defensive mind would go with. I think you'd probably come up with something similar. He's a young quarterback, and you're going to have to, you know, attack him in ways that confuse him and with the Dallas offensive line you're not going to drop into coverage and let him stand there all day and pick you apart so he brought blitzes from he brought blitzes that were just very well designed I mean he, he's good and uh, he confused them early and you know I had my my phone blowing up from my fa- my friends that are cowboy fans oh you know maybe maybe we we need to go back to Rome well, listen Romo would have eviscerated the defense the Eagles played last night but the problem is they wouldn't have played that defense against Romo because he's an experienced quarterback he knows where to go with the ball but um I like what I see from Dak he doesn't get flustered it wasn't his best game last night he I mean you know I think he would tell yeah, you that Philadelphia had a lot to do with that so I they mean, did a tough divisional game against a tough you know opponent that plays defense so I mean, it's not going to all be smooth at the end of the day. He made enough plays for the Cowboys to come out victorious and, you know, kind of put themselves in the driver's seat in, in, in what's turned out to be a fairly tough NFC East division. Oh, the best divisions in football. I went and did this for us. And, uh, you know, I, don't, I won't give you all of them, but the best one right now out of division, because that's how you measure it, because when you're in the division, you, you get a win and a loss against, the, you know, against each other. 
uh, is the AFC West is nine games over 500 outside the division. The NFC East is second. They're seven and a half games because they have that tie over 500. So it's a, it's a good division. It's back to what it's, you know, those two divisions when you and I were kids growing up were pretty much the most competitive divisions. You know, you had those rivalries out in the West with the Raiders and Broncos, uh, Chargers and Chiefs, and it's very similar in the NFC East. All four teams truly dislike one another for a long time in both those divisions. And it's good to see them from a football perspective. It's good to see them both be good again. And, you know, like we have a game coming up next week with the Broncos and Raiders, and it's exciting to see that game, which is a rivalry game, be very meaningful. And I, I feel that way ab- about the East. Uh, hey, quick question for you as a guy who's about my age, some my, A guy sitting with me last night made this comparison. The only reason I bring it up is I happened to go read an article this morning, mm-hmm. and someone makes writing the article the same comparison. Um, I had compared Dak Prescott to Russell Wilson, and this writer said, well, that's an easy one to put out there. He sees Dak Prescott at more as a developing uh, Steve Young. And my buddy said that without, you know, he said it last night, and I read this this morning in that, you know, Prescott can run with the football when he has to. But at the end of the day, he tries to make plays with his arm first. And mm-hmm. as you like to say, the ball travels faster than your legs. Do you, do you see that as a valid comparison? Uh, as Steve Young? No, I would say a, more. A developing that. Steve Young. Not Steve Young that was throwing for a 110 quarterback rating toward the middle and end of his career. <laughs> uh I don't. I don't know. I I would probably say more Russell Wilson than than the Steve Young uh, Super Bowl winning Steve Young. Um, yeah. I mean, absent of Russell Wilson being a person that we know anything about, maybe you do say Steve Young. But I say Russell Wilson before Steve Young. Okay. I was just. It was just a question I wanted to hear your thoughts on because because when two well, people say like it to me at different times. We always seem to be caught up in trying to compare a guy to someone before. You know, it's just something that we seem to want to do a whole heck of a lot. And, you know, why not uh, have a guy be the, the first of that guy? You know what I mean? It's just um, – Because we, we like lists, Chad. And after list, then we like comparisons. Don't you know that? We sure do. Um, and we're crazy with it. But whatever the comparison may be, the Cowboys are – you know, while they're sitting pretty, they're heading, they're heading towards, um, you know, a little bit of controversy and how big a controversy that becomes uh, will have a lot to do with how it's handled by um, Coach Jerry Jones and owner Jerry Jones. Well, Jerry Jones read an MRI apparently at midnight last night, and he just declared that Tony Romo is not ready next week. And I think Tony Romo is going to continue to not be ready unless he has to be ready, if that makes sense. How long can you ride that? And you know what? You need you really need Tony Romo to be down with that for that to continue to work. Well, at this point, I'm not sure Tony Romo has, you know, again, as someone who's defended him and likes him as a person, I think he's a good guy. I'm not sure Tony Romo has much say in that. You and I have discussed this on other shows. Uh, that locker room is mainly, mainly made up of younger guys who never saw the best of Tony Romo. And if they did, it was for that one year in 2014. Like, you look at that offensive line. Tyron Smith was around for a little bit of it. He's only 25, but it's hard to believe he's been in the league since he's 20. He's been in the league six years. Uh, But, you know, Frederick came around for that one uh, 
2014 season, maybe 2013. Martin was 2014. So most of these guys, Des and Whitten are really the only guys that are, you know, Tony guys per se. And Des loves Prescott. So, I mean, I think Tony kind of has to be down with it, period. I mean. <laughs> you talked to me during, uh, you know, you were, you were texting me during the game last night uh, about, you know, some of the play calling and Prescott trying to force some balls in there to Des Bryant and, when I had an opportunity to watch the game, I did notice it a couple of times. Do you think that's a future problem? No, I think the problem becomes the two of them haven't worked together uh, very much. So I don't know if, if Dak as a leader, you know, I, I think this kid's savvy beyond his years sometimes, and I, I don't know if him as a leader wants to say, hey, this guy's been out three weeks. I want to get him involved, and I think last night was probably not the, the right time to do that at certain points, and maybe that's where he's youthful, but I think he was smart enough to understand, like, listen, if I'm going to go anywhere with this team this year, I need Dez to be Dez because he does so much to take to take the top off of defense and allow me to do some of the other stuff. But as that game wore on, I think he realized this is not the game in some spots to do that, and he started to use Beasley later in the game. Now, I wish he had gone to Beasley and Witten earlier in the game. I think it would have been a night, a much easier evening because a lot of those throws, at least from what I could see on TV, appeared to, to be there at certain points, and he, he forced balls. I'm, I'm hoping it's not the case. I don't think Dez is pushing it. I mean, Dez can't complain. He had 113 yards. I mean, he got his, as he likes to say. He did. He, he certainly did that, and good to have him back in the fold. Just, you know, another thing, if you're a Cowboys fan, to – you know, keep keep your eye on um, as the season wears on. You know, things are going great, as I said. There are just a number of things out there that could, you know, be a little fly in the ointment for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, you know, what else was big this weekend that you that you want to that you want to jump up on here early today? And, there, and and then mind you, fellas, we're gonna uh, we're gonna go through. Uh, the you know the top games in college football this weekend. Always some exciting action uh, on the college gridiron, and you know we're starting to get down to the to the brass tacks, as they say, in college football. So we'll be going over some of those top matchups as well as um, you know recapping some of the action that went down in the NFL yesterday. But what jumps out at you from this weekend? In in college. Um... I don't know. I'm a little surprised at at Ohio at Ohio State. Um, you know, I'm just really uh, I'm totally surprised uh, that um, they, they didn't blow out Northwestern. Um, you would expect totally that surprised. Happened last week. Well, I'm a little worried with Ohio. Not worried as a fan, but worried as just somebody analyzing football. I think we kind of pushed them a little bit ahead. You and I. Their talent is incredible but they're a young team. And, you know, they escaped the Wisconsin game and they escaped the Northwestern game on, on each side of that loss to Penn State. And I, I, I think maybe we misread them a little bit. It appears to me right now, that as I watch them go through the season, Michigan is the class of the Big Ten. And that, that, that's kind of jumping out to me right now. Even though, though they struggled a little bit with Michigan State, that's a rivalry game. It was on the road. Um, you know, so the other thing that sticks out at me is your son's team. Um, if they had any kind of an offense, that, that team would be scary because the way they play defense there and, and the pressure that defense is under to constantly shut down other teams, um, it's amazing. I mean, I, I'm really amazed at 
it seems to how be well they play defense. something they've had to deal with for a number of years now. And you're just kind of asking yourself, you know, when when is that going to cease to be an issue for them? Now, mind you, if if they came up with a big-time offense uh, and you combine that with their defense, then this is Alabama we're talking about. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, and that's where I, as someone who admits that I'm, I'm, I'm out there rooting for Florida, uh, you know, I just, I, I struggle to see if they can play with Alabama just because of that. I think, you know, I see the same script if they play in that championship game, playing itself out again, where they hang with them for a half. It's back and forth. Maybe it's a 7-3, 10-3 game, and then all of a sudden they just get tired, wear down. Alabama rips off some big runs, and we look up at the scoreboard at the end of the game, and it's 31-10. And I hate to say that. But I hope the offense improves. But uh, I don't see the push. That I don't see a push in the running game. You know, things that – George is not a really good defensive team this year, if you go back and look at their games. They're not a team that should hold you to whatever they had, 250 yards on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, true. I, mean, I don't know what you. I will say this: that offense that went to the SEC championship game last year was as bad an offense as you could have from a team with a record like that, or as bad an offense as you can have for a team playing in a championship game, uh, especially for the SEC championship. So you know, I don't know what people think. I will tell you, the offense is much improved over the one that showed up for that SEC championship game. Last year, there is an ability to get the ball down the field. There is an ability to get first downs. Um, and there's an ability to, to run the ball, although you'd love to see more out of that offensive line. So I think if the defense – last year's game was 29-15, uh, the, the, the game between Alabama and Florida. Oh, yeah, so no, I no. Was, I mean, listen, it, it was – believe me, I'm, I'm hoping against all hope that, that the, some of the things you're talking about happen – for them because I, I I mean I love I love the defense and I think it's a waste if that team doesn't do more with it because it's just you know it's getting lost in this season because most people pay attention to offense and so Alabama runs up points and then they score defensively and everybody talks Alabama defense Alabama defense but go go look at some of the defensive statistics that the University of Florida is putting up this year and that defense is every bit as impressive as Alabama's. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm truly amazing. Um, you know, if you just take away, and you really can't do that, but this is one bad half of football for that defense. Because every game that I've been to, and I've been to them all, um, watched them all, uh, it's extremely hard to find the end zone twice on this football team. It's, it's just Oh, yeah, I don't know what the hell happened. I mean, I still go back and look at that second half of Tennessee, and I'm trying to figure out what the hell happened because it's just so – uh, counter to everything else that team's done for the other seven and a half games they've played this year. It's just very odd. Yeah, it's, it, it really is amazing. So, I mean, when you, when you look at it, uh, when you talk about the once, the first unit being on that, on that football field, nobody has scored, with the exception of Tennessee in that game, has scored more than once on that first unit. Now, Missouri scored 14 points, but they Florida had emptied out the bench at the end of the game. Uh, and allowed Missouri to get a late touchdown to, to move it to 14, but no one's been. Well, able to and even score. the Tennessee, I think the Tennessee game is a classic example in a study of how how big of how big momentum is in sports. I think that was just the proverbial, you know, the snowball gets going down the hill, 
and before you know it, it's huge and you can't stop it on the road. Um, I'm not sure if that's a neutral field game or at Florida if Tennessee really gets that kind of roll going, but I think once they got it going and that they, they, you know, 110,000 people get you going, um, Florida comes unravel a little bit. I think it was a perfect storm. Not to make an excuse, Tennessee won the game. Uh, good for them, and they did what they had to do. I'm just saying uh, they impressed me. One more thing this weekend, um, to your, your old team, your, your alma mater, they, they came back, but, man, losing at Notre Dame four games in a row now, I mean, head-scratcher down there at Miami. I have not, and we're going to talk about this, I, I have not seen the game. Um, so, you know, I'd like to get my eyes on exactly what happened there. Uh, I knew this would be a tough game, uh, even with Notre Dame. As a matter of fact, uh, I think it became a tougher game when Notre Dame fell to, to you know, two and four, two and five, because at this point, you know, there's no more tension from Notre Dame. We just go play football now. There's nothing on the table for us. Um, there's no college football playoff. Uh, there's no New Year's Day bowl game. Um, we, we don't play for a conference championship. Now we can just go out and play football. So it became a dangerous game. And Miami came in um, riding a, you know, four three game losing streak and they were the tight one coming into this this game. So um it's just it was it, I mean you can I can feel that early on. I mean Notre Dame jumps out to a what was it, twenty to nothing lead? Yeah. And then it, it almost seemed like it it's odd. And well you know what? I think I'm gonna save that part to it. What I found odd about um or you know at least a little ironic about the uh, Notre Dame-Miami matchup and how that game unfolded. That and the wheels are coming off, completely coming off, for another college football team. We'll talk about that and more when we return on the Great Iron Stud Show. We'll be back right after this. Wicked, 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 wicked. Wicked you know. What? Are you a property owner or want to be one, but you don't have time for property management? Then get an MVP on your team. Who has time for the letting process, for arranging inventories and organizing pre-tenancy cleaning, dealing with deposit negotiations and negotiating with service suppliers and maintenance? No one's got time for that. MVP does, though. Get this MVP on your team. You can rely on MVP Property Management to offer you an extreme amount of quality and professional services for your money. And because they know that everyone is different, they pride themselves in providing a professionalized service to each and every one of their clients. So how do you get this MVP on your team? It's simple. Pick up the phone and call right now. 844-696-8722. That's 844-MY-MVP-CC. Or send an email to info at mymvp.cc. Get this MVP on your team and start winning today. You want the truth? Well, here it is. Speed kills. And in no other sport is that true than in football. Speed gets you to the end zone. Speed gets you to the ball carrier. Speed makes you a winner. 
Do you want championship type speed? Do you want speed that kills? Then Complete Speed is what you need. Complete Speed is turning athletes into game breakers. With quick and easy methods that are easy to understand, Complete Speed can shave time off your 40-yard dash, make you quicker and more explosive. They have a clear progression, drills, and exercises along with specific instructions. They also have proven sample workouts and programs for you, the individual, or for you, the coach. Speed is what you need, so hurry now and check out Complete Speed. Just go to gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed. That's gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed for more information right now. Just go out and play football. 
And that's the way this game played out. They came out with their hair on fire, got themselves a 20 to nothing lead as Miami came in there tight. What happens if we lose four games in a row? What's going to happen to us? Um, and, and that's the way the thing went. Now, what I found ironic was I saw in this Miami team in this game the same thing that I saw in the Tennessee team when I watched them play Florida. Tennessee came into the game tight, um, obviously a lot in their mind. It had a long losing streak to Florida. And it's almost like when they fell behind 21-3 in the game, um, they just said to themselves, screw it. You know, this looks like every other game we've played against Florida in, the, in recent history. You know what, to hell with everything. Why don't we just play, just play football? Forget about the win or, or lose or all of that. Let's just go play football. And as a result, Tennessee was able to not only march back and tie the game, take, uh, take a lead and never look back and ended up winning the game 38-28 over Florida. And that's kind of what happened here with Miami. They came into this game um, tight, four and three, worrying about what would happen if they lost four in a row, what would people say, what's going to happen to us. And falling down 20 to nothing, it seemed that they just said, you know what, screw it. We don't care about anything right now. Let's just go play football. And Miami's talent was able to come out. Um, unfortunately for them, this you know game happened on the road. Now, had this been a home game for Miami and things played out the same way, I really feel like they would have maintained the lead that they were able to earn in this game because as it played out, Miami came all the way back, scored 27 unanswered points before Notre Dame came back and scored the last 10 and earned the win. But with that in mind, you've got to ask yourself, how's Miami going to play the rest of the season? Can Miami play with the attitude and mindset that they had once they fell behind 20 to nothing on Notre Dame. And if they can, they have a chance to really finish up this season strong. But if they come out now um, worried, over-worried, if, you can, if there is such a word, about having lost four straight and they're listening to all of the outside noise about you know, losing four straight, and maybe the Canes aren't back, and is this Mark Richter right higher, and what's up with the offense, and, you know, the defense has been big. All the things that people are saying um, when you lose games like this, if they play like that, then this Pittsburgh game is going to be a really big problem for them because Pittsburgh uh, is no slouch either. Pitt can play football. They're a 5-3 and three football team. They're coming into this game off of a loss versus Virginia Tech. But Pitt has been able to put up all types of points this season. They haven't had a game this since Villanova in the opener, a game that they won in which they've scored less than 35 points. So you've got a team that's coming in here that can play uh, some offensive football. And Notre Dame exposed some things on the defensive side of the ball for Miami. Uh, the only good thing for Miami here is that Pitt doesn't really play that much defense this year, which is a little surprise for a team who runs the ball as well as Pitt does. So, you know, there's certainly something for, uh, you know, Miami fans to, to keep an eye on as we go through here. You can't play tight against Pitt. You just can't when you're looking at, I promise you, a fifth loss in a row. And then where do we go from here? Because now you go – and you're playing Virginia after Pittsburgh. And now Virginia went out and they showed what they could do when, you know, they, when they're playing at their best. They almost took out Louisville, which could be arguably the best team in the ACC right now. I mean, they did lose to Clemson on the road, 
But it was a game that everyone who saw, you know, it was a game Louisville certainly could have won. And here it was Virginia on Saturday taking them all the way to the brick, and Louisville had to put a cat out, pull a cat out of a hat to win that football game. So things can get tough here for Miami if, they're, if they play tight. They play loose, though. Um, that looked like a really strong football team that came back from 20 to nothing. So um, we're just going to have to see where that goes. If you can get these youngsters to just play football and forget about the outside noise, then, you know, there's a chance for some really great things to happen there. But um, getting rid of that and not listening to that outside noise when you have a young football team is very, very difficult. So going around college football on Saturday – and again, uh, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to call into the show today. It's 347-633-9365. Or you could reach us. Um, you could reach us on Twitter at Gridiron Studs. Or, or you can follow the uh, new Twitter account that we've uh, put together for the Gridiron Studs show. And that's at G-I-S Show B-G. G-I-S-S-H-O-W-B-G. Gridiron Studs Show. Uh, Twitter account. So you can reach us in uh, those multiple ways if you want to, uh, you know, make a question or comment here on the Good Iron Stud Show today. But sticking in the ACC, other stuff that went on there, again, I talked about Louisville and Virginia. Um, Louisville having to come up with 18 fourth quarter points to get the win. It was a game in which Louisville was a 32-point favorite, so perhaps uh, the Cardinals can't handle being that big of a favorite yet. Maybe it was, you know, since uh, a wrong message to them. To looking at the rest of Louisville's schedule, they're at Boston College next week. Um, a game that could be a problem for them if they come out and play the, the way that they did against Virginia. Uh, hopefully, if you're a Louisville fan, uh, coming close to losing that game against Virginia will have the Cardinals with their heads on straight when they travel to, you know, Boston College to take on the Eagles. Then there's Wake Forest in Houston. Yeah, I mean, early in the season, this Houston game looked like, and because it is going to be played, Houston looked like, a, you know, could be a game that the uh, Cards have some serious problems in. But given the way Houston has performed lately, maybe not so much. And then, you know what, that game at the end of the year, Kentucky's starting to come around a little bit. Uh, back-to-back wins for them. Uh, they blow out Missouri um, on the road. And now, uh, you know, this it's a rivalry game, folks, and anything can happen there. Louisville could be a little bit tight. Coming into that ball game, it could be fourth or fifth in the country, depending on what the college football, um, you know, voting committee thinks about them. But they're they're going to be in the top ten. They're going to be near to that college football playoff, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on Louisville going into that game against a Kentucky team that can come in there and play loose, fast, funky, fast, and free, as they say. And so that could be a, a little bit of a problem for them. And the other, the big game in the ACC on. Saturday night was Clemson taking on Florida State, um, a real back-and-forth contest, uh, maybe not what some people expected, given the way Florida State's played defense this year. Perhaps people thought that, you know, Clemson would run away with this a little bit more, but that was not the case. Florida State played tough defensively early on, and things got and turned into a little bit of a track meet, and Clemson came up with 17 fourth-quarter points. I continue to say that, you know, Clemson – seemed a little bored with this regular season. Now, you know, I don't know if that applies to this game. It is Florida State. No reason to come out half cock against the Seminoles, who have been the bullies in this conference over the last few years. But Clemson comes up with 17 fourth-quarter points and comes up with the three-point win over Florida State. This is a game in which 
you know, you gave up 37 points for the state. You lose the game 37-34. And the big focus for Jimbo Fisher at the end of the game uh, and after the game was on the officiating. I don't know if he could do that. There's no crying in football, Jimbo Fisher. And, and then, you know, when you go that route, it seems to me that Jimbo's starting to feel the pressure of his team's lack of performance this season. It's the third loss for Florida State. And uh, now they have games remaining at NC State, Boston College, Syracuse, and then that big one at the end of the year against Florida, the rivalry game. Where does Florida State end up in this thing? I'll be interested in seeing some of the bowl projections that are that come out. Be looking for those later on today to just kind of see how people feel like things are going to, you know, flow here. I don't see Florida State losing any of these next three games unless uh, that whole feeling of what are we playing for comes overcomes this team and maybe you slip up against one of these last three uh, very, you know, beatable opponents at NC State, Boston College, and Syracuse. That game at the end of the year against Florida is going to be pretty, you know, interesting. Um, you know, and it's Florida State is going to be the team, perhaps, if uh, Florida continues to play and win, um, it's going to be the team that can play with uh, less pressure in that contest. So uh, that's going to be obviously a big game, as it is every year. That's the weekend that was in the ACC. Sliding over to the Big 12. What's Texas, a real Jekyll and Hyde football team. You know, who can figure out Texas right now? I think everyone is on the consensus that Charlie Strong will be let go at the end of the year, but, you know, this team goes and loses to Kansas State. um, Struggles to beat Iowa State. um, Can't beat Oklahoma. uh, Gets blown out by Oklahoma State. And beats Baylor at home. You know, pulls one out. It's good to see that the players uh, at Texas have not given up on Charlie Strong. They're still playing football. They're not going out there and laying it down for what you know, many of them have to probably know is a lame duck coach. So that bodes well for Charlie Strong. And, you know, we can start the speculation as to where Charlie Strong will end up next. But, you know, given the, given the way Texas is, they could very well have gone out and beat Baylor in a tough game this week, and then now you've got Texas Tech, and they don't handle their business against Texas Tech, who, by the way, is just still, uh, I mean, came up with a defensive ball game. Can, can you believe that? Texas Tech managed somehow to play defense last week and held TCU to 24 points and pulled out a win. Who can figure out the Big 12 this year? Absolutely crazy. I mean, I mean Texas Tech goes out and holds TCU to 24 points. One week after giving up, I mean, 2,000 yards in a game to Oklahoma. 2,000 yards and probably 66 points. Um, it had been three straight weeks of giving up 44 points or more for, you know, Texas Tech. They come up with some kind of a defense. Texas Tech, folks, and I don't know how many of you pay attention to this football team, but prior to that game against TCU, Texas Tech had given up 44 points or more in four out of their six games. I mean, that's absolutely amazing, um, the total lack of defense that they played there. But Texas, um, going back to Texas, got the win against uh, Baylor. Uh, number 14, West Virginia, which was a team kind of moving up for the Big 12. Maybe that dark horse team making a move. Well, all that's gone. They go to Oklahoma State and decide to not play defense pretty much for the first time this year and end up losing 37 to 20 in Oklahoma State. The conference is all over the place right now. And uh, it doesn't seem to me as though this conference 
is going to come anywhere close to having a representative in the playoff once again this year. And this is on the heels of them um, making the decision not to add extra teams and split the conference in half to divisions so that they could have a championship game. Now, they are talking about having uh, a championship game anyway. They'll just be based on the two top teams and blah, 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 blah. You know, just that's the nonsense they're handing us. I don't understand why this conference just really can't get their whole act together. Um, but nevertheless, that's that's the Big 12 for you. That's that's the way they're going. And so uh, that's it. Not a whole hell of a lot else to talk about in the Big 12. I've been finding myself saying that quite a bit as the season has worn on. You know, if they don't have a team undefeated kind of moving around within that top four or five, there's a whole lot to talk about when it comes to Big 12 football because it just is a joke each week how little they play defense. And I know um, this new era of football fan out there likes uh, the fantasy football type stuff where teams just go up and down the field and run hurry up offenses and they score points, but it's just turned into a, a comedy. It's almost like not football. It's like the college football version of arena football, um, what you see in the Big 12 every week. It's just very difficult to take this conference seriously when you've got uh, teams outscoring the basketball teams each and every week. All right, so sliding over to the Big 10, Michigan and Michigan State. Um, this game was closer than people expected. I mean, a bit of a slap in the face for Michigan State, who, you know, admittedly has not played well this season. They came into this game two and five. But Michigan comes into the ball game in Spartan Stadium as 24-and-a-half-point favorite. That had to rile up Michigan State. And they came out um, strong in this contest, but it was that second quarter that really did it Michigan State. It's kind of been the deal for them this year. They just had those parts in the game where they can't get it together. Michigan State could do nothing through the air. Uh, passing the ball in this game. They completed um, all of 13 passes um, in the entire contest. So uh, managed only 184 yards passing. They did run the ball fairly well, but just whatever it was, it just wasn't enough as Michigan runs off with this game 32 to 23. And Michigan starting to separate themselves a little bit in this conference because Ohio State, on the heels of their loss to Penn State, you'd expect them to come out and crush the next opponent, right? Wrong. They end up in a, you know, a knife and fork battle with Northwestern, needing a late touchdown to win the football game against a Northwestern team that struggled um, for a good part of the season and uh, is now 4-4 four and four on the year. Not what you expected from Ohio State. You would expect more. Making that end-of-the-year game um, that much more interesting. Ohio State has a tough one at home against Nebraska, who fell for the first time this weekend when they took on Wisconsin. That was a tough ball game, but uh, that's a tough one next week for Ohio State. You're going to face a Nebraska team coming off of a loss, albeit you get them at home, but the next three, as you look ahead here for Ohio State, is Nebraska at Maryland and then, you know, at Michigan State. Certainly three games they can win and setting up a big showdown at the end of the year against Michigan, I'm sure – um, everyone can't wait for that. Nebraska versus Wisconsin. This game went into overtime as one of my picks this weekend. I'll talk about the picks for both Emil and I, um, you know, at the end of this segment before we head into the break. But, uh, you know, 
Another tough game. I expected this to be that kind of a fist fight, and that's exactly what it ended up being. Nebraska comes up with 10 fourth quarter points to uh, send the game to overtime, and in the end, Wisconsin pulls it out. Wisconsin just simply finding ways to, you know, win football games. Uh, they've been tough in their two losses against the two, uh, you know, big boys in the conference, Michigan and Ohio State. So, you know, where do you leave Wisconsin right now? They're 23rd ranked, uh, you know, the, the number eight ranked football team in the country. I believe they're um, hanging tight there in that top 10. So, you know, where are they going to stay? It's going to be some fun figuring out this this top 10 uh, as we move along here in the college football season. But that was your Big Ten, you know, weekend there or, or anything that mattered. There. In, the, in the Pac-12, it's Washington, folks. Um, Washington going out and getting things done. Um, you thought maybe they might have a letdown, perhaps, maybe. Um, but, you know, they didn't. You know, they come out, they handle their business. This was the game in which uh, this was a team that was supposed to be, you know, the team that could knock Washington off. And that's uh, um, not what happened there. It was a tough game. They needed a late punt return to get it done. But as you sit here and look at it, Washington uh, is, you know, the leader right now in the Pac-12. They are their hope to be in the college football playoff. And uh, they have games remaining at California. USC, who's playing very well. That's a, it's a different game now. Four weeks ago, you're saying to yourself, okay, that's going to be a win now for Washington. Don't see a whole lot going on there. But USC's played some good ball lately. So now that's going to be a very, very interesting ball game. And then they ended with Arizona State and Washington State. Washington could very well finish this thing undefeated and head into that Pac-12 championship game. But you got to be impressed with Washington and what they were able to do on the road in this contest um, and getting the win 31-24. They just continue to march along. Oregon and Arizona State, two teams I just can't understand in this conference. But Arizona State, when you play defense the way they, they do, live or die by the blitz. There'll be games where you just totally dominate an opponent, and then there are games where you just can't stop an opponent whatsoever. And um, this was the latter for uh, Arizona State as Oregon piles up 54 points and runs away with it in a 54-35 win. Washington State, how about that game? What a crazy ball game. Uh, Oregon State jumped out big in this contest, and it looked like Washington State had just sleepwalked themselves into a football game, and then here comes Washington State, rattled off um, a whole bunch of points in a row and took this game in the end, 35-31. Washington State's doing big things out there. They've now won six games in a row after opening up the season uh, 0-2 against two, you know, opponents you wouldn't expect them to, uh, to lose to. Um, they, they lost to Eastern Washington. I'm sure that's something that's going to really kick them in the rear end, uh, you know, when, you, when they look back at it on their season. And, um, and then, you know, Boise State, no one's going to fault them for a Boise State loss. All right. Uh, my co-host is handling his business, and he's back to jump on here. And, of course, you know, it's your time, and you jump back on when we're talking Pac-12 football. How about that? We're on the Pac-12. Yeah, that was a hell of a game there Saturday. I mean, I don't know how far you delved in, uh, into that game, but Washington uh, got two scares this year on the road, surprisingly earlier in the season at Arizona in overtime, which is still hard to believe watching the way Arizona's playing football this year. And, uh, you know, Saturday, wow, I mean, three minutes left, punt return for a touchdown, but they got it done. Utah's a tough place to win. 
Um, I think all it stands between them and an undefeated season. I hate to dismiss Washington State, but I don't. I really think if they beat USC at home in two weeks, uh, they're going undefeated. Um, yeah, it looks that way. Um, if they don't tighten up and you know lock up on us here, I was also talking about the Washington State game, and you know what, Amal, I you know, really sat here and looked at Washington State schedule. They've got to be really fuming and kicking themselves in the head for how they opened up this season. Because right now they've ripped off six wins in a row. Um, they will they'll have a hard time explaining themselves for the loss of Eastern Washington to open up the season. And then, you know, going and playing at Boise is never easy. But they lost that game by three points, two losses by three points. Should we be paying more attention to Washington State? That could be a potential problem for Washington at the end of the year. Sure, but I also think in in, in a little bit of a, a way, uh, they've benefited inside the conference. I'm not going to say they're not improved. They are, obviously. But if you look, they scheduled three out-of-conference games, and two were supposed to be gimmies. Because when you, I don't care how good Eastern Washington is as a subdivision team, and they're a good subdivision team, you're not supposed to lose to them at home. And Idaho is a gift, okay? You're supposed to beat Idaho and beat them they did like a drum. Uh, they lose the one game that I would consider, you know, a challenge, you know, a, a step-up game. They lose to Boise. Inside the conference, they draw the benefit of Oregon is having a down year. I'll give them credit for the win on the farm. That was a nice win. UCLA right now is a disaster. Um, Arizona State and Oregon State on the road, they escape both of them. Neither one is a juggernaut, though. I mean, they've, they've got a favorable conference schedule until the last two games where they play resurgent Colorado on the road, which will be a test for them in the home game at Washington. So they're improved, but I don't know how much to make of it yet. Because I mean, they you know three point loss or not, you're not supposed to you're not supposed to be in a dogfight with Eastern Washington. Yeah, well, listen, man, holy 1991 when you see Washington and Washington State trying to do big things in the uh, in the Pac-12. So, uh, you know, look, looking forward to that. I mean, uh, hey, Chad, don't misunderstand me. I'm impressed with the – I mean, that, that program was a doormat for the last, you know, decade or so. So, I mean, mm-hmm. what they've done, I'm not trying to dismiss it as not being impressive. They're 6-2, and two, good for them. I'm just saying, you, you know, they, they, they've gotten so far – I think I think the schedule is a little bit backloaded here, and I think those last two games are going to tell us what we need to know about this club because uh, the trip to Colorado is going to be a challenge for them, and of course Washington will be. That's a rivalry game. So, but it was a, so I'm going to withhold judgment until we get to the end the end of the year on them. Yeah, let's slide over to the SEC because oh uh, boy, were well, there some interesting things that went down in this conference? Listen, I've uh, obviously if you followed. My uh, Twitter account, at Studs, you've seen a little back and forth for me with Tennessee fans who just have not, you know, as crazy as it sounds, have not been able to get over their win over Florida. And, you know, maybe that sprinkled onto the football team because since beating Florida, Tennessee is one and three, and it has had an inexplicable loss versus South Carolina. But I watched South Carolina last week, and – I saw an improved football team with this new freshman at quarterback. And you know what I've always said down here? When you get a new guy in there at quarterback, there isn't really a book on a guy. Um, So it makes it kind of difficult for you to pick up tendencies and defend in that way. And so um, that might have been some of what happened there for Tennessee. Or you know what? Maybe the the fuel tank has just really run dry for this team. And now, Amal, the big news coming out of Knoxville 
is that they've had a players-only meeting, um, and that star running back Jalen Hurd is talking about uh, his, his alleged to quit the football team. The wheels are coming well, off. Tennessee, I, right? I think Tennessee was more of a convergence of a perfect storm with what happened this year. I think you're, you're on to something, and it's part of the overall problem that I see before and after, is I think they put a lot of focus on that Florida game. Coming into the season, you know, they were supposed to be all that. This was supposed to be their year. Finally, the recruiting had met up with the experience, and this was going to be a big year for Tennessee. So you look at they open the season. They know Florida's early, you know, September 24th. So they kind of sleepwalk through that Appalachian State game, almost lose. They get up for Virginia Tech, a Power 5 program, fine. That's, that's that game I think they played uh, on a neutral field. Then they play Ohio, sleepwalk through that, and they get ready. They come in. They do what they did against Florida in that second half. They act like they won the Super Bowl, the national championship, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. The next week they escape Georgia, um, coming off that emotional Florida win. And I think at that point, the tank was pretty much empty. They they put up they put up a big effort at Texas A&M, lost. Alabama did what Alabama does to a lot of teams, and I think at this point you've got a team that basically had their season way too early. I, I think they made a lot of that Florida game, probably more than they should have for a September football game. If I could use this track analogy, this just really right here looks for Tennessee like you entered into a 400 meter dash event and you took off on the on the on the gun you sprinted all the way to the 200 meter mark full out sprint and you know ran through the 200 meter mark like you broke the tape as the winner put your hands up celebrated then the rest of the field just came and blew right by in about 250 meters and they're continuing to run um to finish the season and you're completely out of gas you're about to you know put your hands on your knees and uh, just call it a day. It's kind of what this looks like for Tennessee. Yeah, you know, and, and the reprieve that, that's happening for Tennessee again is the schedule for them, the meat of their schedule came in the last five weeks when they went Florida, Georgia, A&M, Alabama, South Carolina. The bookends of the schedule kind of stink. So early on they got those games I talked about. And now next week, you know, they have Tennessee Tech coming to town. That sounds like a cartoon, like Tennessee Tuxedo. Then they have Kentucky. Missouri, and then they're at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt could be a little bit of a problem, but generally they should win those four games. They're going to be favored in them. So, yeah, well, look, let me tell you something. Before you, before you, you go any further on that, um, you've got a problem with, with Kentucky right now. I mean, Kentucky is starting to play some good football. Um, they go on the road, and they hand Missouri a loss you know, by 14 points. They put up 40 points the week before against Mississippi State. Three straight, they beat a tough Vanderbilt team. Uh, Kentucky's on a three-game win streak. And, oh, by the way, they're the second-place team in the SEC East right now. So that, if, if Tennessee, if the reports are true about what's going on in Tennessee right now, with players talking about quitting, your star running back saying he's going to hang it up for whatever reason, that Kentucky game is going to be a problem for Tennessee. That's a good point, and Kentucky's you know, kind of flown under the radar a little bit, but all the numbers you just uh, spit out are true. I mean, they've been putting up a ton of points. It's a bitter rivalry. I mean, Tennessee-Kentucky's right up there with Tennessee-Vanderbilt. I mean, it's a big rivalry, so you're right. I mean, Kentucky's going to most likely bring their A game, and they'd love nothing better uh, than to you know walk into Tennessee Stadium in front of 110,000 and knock them off. So you're right. They can't, they can't sleep on Kentucky. That's true. 
Yeah, uh, so, I mean, it's it's all eyes are on Tennessee right now and seeing if they could finish this season uh, strong. I mean, they still have a chance. Um, Florida has to go play at Arkansas uh, this weekend. And, you know, it's a game many people feel like Florida could lose. And then they've got to follow that up with a game against LSU. Florida were to drop both of those football games and Tennessee can hold, hang, hang on here and win out, then Tennessee's the one going to the championship game in Atlanta. But you know what could happen here? Um, you could have Tennessee drop another football game. You could have Florida uh, melt here a little bit. And then Kentucky goes to the SEC championship game against Alabama. That's not what this conference wants to see happen. Uh, and most let's, let's be honest, most likely – most likely it won't, but it could. I mean, it, it could happen. It's the scenario The scenario, yeah, exists. I just, like I said, I just, I, I think Kentucky is, is, is on fumes right now. Um, I don't know what the issues are with the players. I don't know enough about the program. Uh, it's just odd to me. They had so much success. And, you know, other than that Alabama game, you know, the both losses were, were tough ball games. I just don't know what the players are disgruntled about. They they seem to be having fun when they were winning, at least what I was watching. Uh, when we're on the SEC, I wanted to ask you this, staying in the East. Don't you find it ironic, odd, whatever word you want to use, that Georgia, you know, Mark Richt didn't win enough for them at Georgia. You know, he had to go. He only won nine games a year or whatever it was, right? Mm-hmm. What's Georgia, four and four right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I know where you're going. I'm just. I'm not gonna knee jerk on a guy's first season coaching, um, uh, being a head coach at all. Now you know how I feel about this kind of job being the first head coaching job for anyone. It's as tough as it gets. Very few guys can handle all that. But um, it's it's definitely. Um, you know, something I think a lot of Georgia fans are contemplating. Of course, and um, I, I don't, I don't doubt it. But what I'm trying to say is, I, what I'm trying to say is, I'm not blaming Kirby Smart. I just find it more ironic that they, they needed to make a move. And I'm not. What I'm trying to say is, I'm not sure Rick was necessarily the problem. That's all I'm. I think the Miami the fans is, are. You want to know who the problem is for Georgia? You want to know who the problem? Um, was for LSU. You want to know who the problem was for Auburn coming into this season. You want to know who the problem was for Florida um, uh, last season. The big problem is Alabama and Nick State. You're not Alabama, so you, you're, your job's up. Your, your job's up for questioning because you're not Nick State yeah. and Alabama right now. Well, you know, at some point you got to realize Alabama hit something special with him. Uh, he's going to go down as one of the all-time greats. These people want to be special, too. They want their nickname. Yeah, everybody does, but most people don't get lucky enough to find that. I mean, it happens to each to some programs. It's it's a you know once in a fifty-year thing usually, and uh, you know they found one there and saved it, and good for them. I think uh, you know your school needs to be patient with Rick. I think he's trying to instill a different culture there, mm-hmm. and that's going to take some time. And I and I hope that they. Oh, you know, I think he's a good out. University of Miami fan base has none of none, and um, you know I'm gonna have to really set them straight here pretty soon. But they, they patience they don't have. 
Yeah, I, I hear you. Did you guys, But when, when I was gone, did you get to go through the ACC? Because I wanted to ask you about that game Saturday if you didn't. I did go through the ACC, and, you know, before the break, uh, when you were on with me, I did talk about something that I found ironic in that contest. And, you know, when we had our Football Friday show, uh, we are talking about this game, uh, or at least when I was talking with Brian of Beast London, my, the, the correspondent I have on for Miami football, I said this game became a lot more dangerous for Miami. Notre Dame became a lot more dangerous opponent when they fell to two and five. Because I really feel like if Notre Dame was a six and one, five and two football team coming into this game, they would have been really, really tight with something to play for, something on the line. And I don't know that this game would have started off that way. But when Notre Dame fell to two and five, it was a kind of a case of the effort. We'll just play football. And you have athletes if you're Notre Dame. You know, you're not, you know, Miami of Ohio. You have athletes. So if you guys can just go out there and play free, then um, there's a chance you can go out there and do big things. And at two and five, there's nothing on the table for Notre Dame, at least not anything that they want. And that kind of played itself out in the game when you jump out with a 20 to nothing lead. Now, here's what happened for Miami. I think they came into this game worried about having lost three games in a row because, you know, you're hearing all the noise from the fans. You've lost three games. And, uh, you know, you kind of still have some stuff to play for. So they came in tight. And what I saw, um, and again, and I wasn't watching the game, but it just seemed to me like what happened to Miami is the same thing that I saw happen to Tennessee in that Florida game when they fell behind 21-3. to You know, we came into this thing with all this pressure about this long losing streak against Florida, and here we are down 21-3 to with a whole half to play. You know what? Screw it. We're just going out there and play – uh, put our hair into the wind, and whatever happens, happens. And perhaps that's what happened to Miami. We came in here tight. Now we're down 20 to nothing. Looks like we might lose another game. Screw it. We're just going to play football. And they roared all the way back and took a, ripped off 27 straight. I think if the game was at home, Amal, they would have won. Probably. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're, there's something to be said for playing loose, and I think it happened, as you point out there, and in both cases for both teams. Notre Dame overall didn't have anything to lose, and I think once Miami fell behind, sure. Um, you know, you you said it early in the year. I think people have to realize that it's going to take a while, and if Miami fans want to keep changing the coach, they can do that, but it's, it's usually not good for stability. Take it from a USC fan. At some point, you've got to settle on a coach, and you have to ride them for three or four years and see what happens. You know, and I mean, early in the year, we were talking about that at SC saying, you know, hey, is Swan going to pull the trigger? Is he going to get rid of Helton? And I think you were the one who said it. Like, at some point, you can't have that much instability. So you have to say, this is our guy. We're going to ride with him. We're going to give him the three, four years, and then we're going to make a decision. And I think Miami's at that point right now. Yeah, uh, you've got to. You've got to. Ride with Mark Rick. Mark Rick needs his five years. Obviously, he's a good football coach. He got fired from uh, Georgia for not being a great football coach, or like I said, not being Nick Saban, because that's who everyone is compared to in this conference. So they're just going to have to ride it out. And I'll say this again. I said it when Charlie Strong came to Texas. Obviously, it looks like they're not going to give him the time. You don't want that brand-new coach to come in and go undefeated or go 11-1 and that first year because it becomes a very tough act to follow. Um, and then people start talking about you won with the other guys. Can you imagine saying you won yeah, with no. players as much oh as they my God, no. about recruiting? Can I, can I make one more point in this conference? I, I really believe in, you know, say what I want, say what you want. Maybe there's Florida State fans out there and I'm picking on the guy. 
I really believe Jimbo Fisher is a very average head coach. He may be a great offensive coordinator. That I won't speak to. Uh, I know he's got a good reputation. But he won same way Chiswick did down there in Auburn that one year. He won with a generational player. And mm-hmm. now that that guy's gone, I watched that game Saturday. Mm-hmm. His offensive line could could not block Clemson's defensive line. And his solution to that was to throw the ball more. Mm-hmm. I, I mean – I did, I sat there and I think I think you probably got my text maybe not where you were in the stadium. I'm sitting there going, how are they playing a game that's nip and tuck with Clemson, where they actually have the lead and going into the fourth quarter, Cook has 14 carries, 14 carries. Yeah, I, I, listen, I, I hear you. Uh, a lot of these offensive gurus, um, and we're going to touch on this a little bit in our NFL segment next. But uh, that ends up being their way to show there's no guru when you run the ball. It's almost like you get stripped of that tag um, when you decide to start running the football. You're no longer a guru. You're only a guru when you throw the football around and come up with these um, interesting passing concepts to get a wide receiver open and have a quarterback throw a ball to a wide receiver in some kind of open space or down the field. So – you have this pressure to maintain your guru-ness, if I could say that, and that means throwing the ball. When you the best player on your entire football team is back there, um, not being fed the way that he needs to be fed. I've watched this happen over and over, not only in college football, but it's happening in the NFL. But to your point that you made about Jimbo Fisher, and this is not for me to take off on Jimbo Fisher, but Jimbo Fisher is Lane Kiffin in disguise. He's, he's, he's a good play caller, and I know we're attacking that a little bit here, but he is, I've seen Jimbo Fisher call football games, and he's good at that. I just don't know that he is a... He needs somebody to manage him, so when he keeps dialing up passes, there's a head coach that jumps in on the headset and says, Jay Jimbo, run the ball. Because I'm looking at this last night... I don't know that he's a program builder, program guy, you know, a general of a program uh, a la, you know, and I've got to use his name again, Nick Saban or, or uh, an Urban Meyer, or a Jim Harbaugh, or, you know, any of these top names. I don't know that he's that guy. I, this, this is kind of what I've observed. And let's, let's strip away that championship and all that came around it. But look at what has gone on in his tenure there with Florida State. You've had a number of problems go down. Um, you decide on the heels of a loss to Houston in a bowl game to have a reality show on Showtime, I mean, you, let me know if you think Nick Saban would have, would have gone for something like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, you I mean, know you know, I'm saying. This is your reward, guys, for losing to Houston. We're going to put you on a nationally televised um, reality show. Sent the wrong message. Here. They played a 37-34 game at home on Saturday night. They handed the ball to their running backs 21 times in the game. Because yeah, I'm, I'm not counting the quarterback rushes for the which they count as sacks. They had 21 running plays in the football game in a 37-34 game. Where, by the way, they gave up six quarterback sacks and numerous hits on the quarterback. So their solution to that was I'm going to run the ball 21 times and I'm going to drop back to pass 42 times, 35 which resulted in a ball being thrown forward and seven of them resulting in the quarterback on his ass. I'm going to say it to you again, Emil. You are not considered a guru as a play caller if you run the football. 
and there's just that pressure in uh, someone's mind to listen. We're not we're not winning games, so um, I got to at least hold on to something here, and that's me being a guru. So despite the fact that I've got maybe the best running back or the second best running back, however you want to look at it, depends on where you're from in the country. I'm I'm not going to feed them like that and keep this great offense from going against my defense that's had holes in it all season. I'm going to not do that. I'm not going to feed Dalvin Cook and run this clock down. I'm going to throw the ball around and show you what a genius I, I, I am and, and score these points. So that's that. Well, most of our audience is too too young to remember, too way too young to remember John McKay. And even I was only a child. But I will tell you, John McKay, who was one of the greatest college football coaches ever, if he could toss the ball to his tailback 40 times in a game and it kept working, he would keep tossing it. And in the same direction, if it kept working to the right, he would keep well, running to the right. Had you ever, um, back then, now, as we look back, has anyone ever called him a guru or a play call, you know, play calling guru? Never. Oh, he was no, he was no guru. He's just a Hall of Fame college football coach. No but, guru, though. But we've thrown that tag around, and it's a, it's, a, it's a title that people covet, and they do crazy things to keep it. Um, the last thing in this in the SEC before we go to the break and get to talking about some NFL football, quietly, Emil, um, a, a team that I thought was going to be in a lot of trouble this year, and I was pretty certain that their head coach was going to get fired, um, has been anything but that. And that's the Auburn Tigers who won their fifth straight football game on Saturday night against uh, Ole Miss on the road, come up with another 300-plus yard rushing performance win by double digits on the road versus Ole Miss. Auburn is flying under the radar here. Their losses are against Clemson and Texas A&M. And outside of that, they've been pretty damn well dominant. Yeah, I mean, it's listen, it's impressive. They, they are, uh, you know, early in the year when they played that close game against Clemson, we kind of took Clemson to task. For, for that game, wondering, you know, how are you playing a close game? We know it's Auburn, but you know what? Looking back at it and looking at the way Clemson's played some of these games, I'll give them some credit for mental toughness, but I'm not sure they'd beat Auburn right now at Auburn. Well, so here's what we've got, and this is, you know, hard for people to believe because you haven't been paying attention to Auburn. You've been looking at LSU, Texas A&M, and Alabama. But here's the deal. Auburn's got Vanderbilt, Georgia, and Alabama A&M. Three games they're going to win. I'm just going to come out and say that. Three games they're going to win. And then now this Iron Bowl, Emil, is for the SEC West. Because Auburn manages to beat Alabama. And they're going to, you know, both of those teams are going to have one loss in the conference. And Auburn would have the tiebreaker having one head-to-head. Who saw that coming? Nobody saw that coming. If they they tell you they did, they're lying. Um, I will say this too: uh, that's not far fetched, by the way. Uh, I mean Auburn. I think Alabama. Wait, Auburn's running in the for, football right now? Absolutely not. Yeah, I think Alabama is going to be in for a hell of a test there in that Auburn game. Yeah, and a part of that reason is going to be this because here's what Alabama is looking at. Um, they've got this LSU game, Mississippi State, and you know they might they might get beat up there a little bit. They've already lost their free safety for the rest of the season, Eddie Jackson. Um, so, you know, they could come into this game maybe, which is hard to do under a Nick Saban coach football team, but maybe not with the right mindset, feeling like they've accomplished everything they need to accomplish and this is a foregone conclusion. 
the Iron Bowl is going to be a big-time football game, and I think that's good for college football, good for the SEC and all that. So um, that's that for college football. We need to take a break. There's some NFL football to get to, and the guru title it might be messing up a football team in the NFL. We're going to talk about what team that is and more when we get back on the Great Iron Stud Show right after this. Sure, summer's gone, winter's here, but that doesn't mean everyone's putting their t-shirts away. Whether it's the company recreational basketball team, the youth soccer league for the kids, or the Halloween party your buddy throws every year, t-shirts are as much a part of the American culture as Tom Brady deflating footballs. Screen printed t-shirts are costly when done for small groups. They're limited in color unless you want to pay even higher prices. More colors, more costly. The answer? Do it yourself at home with your inkjet printer and a hand iron. Whether it's your 7-on-7 team, your child's birthday party, or the family reunion, you can do it yourself and they'll look great. That's right, with heat transfer paper sold at t-shirtsupplies.com, you can design your own logos, do the wording whatever you want, print it on your own inkjet paper sold by t-shirtsupplies.com, and iron it on with your own hand iron. The design or pictures you put on your t-shirts are limited only by your own imagination and creativity. If you dream it up and design it, the paper sold at t-shirtsupplies.com can get it onto your t-shirt. By the way, don't worry if you haven't done it before. As T-Shirt Supplies has first-rate customer service, they'll help you get the right paper for your project and steer you in the right direction. Visit them at t-shirtsupplies.com. That's t-shirt, no hyphen, supplies pearl, all one word, dot com. Or call them at 1-877-857-2737. It's 1-857-85-PAPER. T-shirtsupplies.com. Go there now. Hey, hey, hey. Do you love fantasy sports? Do you love money? Do you love excitement? Well, get ready, because you may have found your heaven. FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website. Turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one week and even one day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payoffs. FanDuel pays out over $10 million in winnings weekly to its members. That's right, $10 million. One member has made over $600,000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one day contest for $25 and get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leagues for as little as $1. For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS when you sign up. But you better hurry. The match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS. Do it now! Randy Savage, what's the cup for? Oh, wow. Mr. Sarcasm. Cup of coffee in the big time, yeah. Cup of coffee, man, yeah. Cup of coffee in the big time, yeah. I don't care. No. It doesn't even matter. Cup of coffee, man, yeah. 
Man. Wow, man freaked out. Jumped out to a huge 35-7 lead. Um, 
and then ended up 35-21 winner in the contest. Um, the Nebraska game, uh, you know, they didn't come up with the win. They were good enough to get the thing into overtime. I did have some moments there of regret um, when Wisconsin went up 17-7 in this in this game, but I did remember that Wisconsin is about as ultra-conservative a football team as you can have. So, uh, they keep giving Nebraska opportunities with the football, and if Nebraska could just come up with some kind of a field goal or um, maybe perhaps another touchdown and you know, enter in through the back door, um, I'd have a good chance. As it stood, they tied the game and took it to overtime, and at that point, you know, you've got yourself a winner. When, um, I think my line was That was nine. a nice pick by you because, honestly, I told you in the preview show Friday, I thought I had some line suspicion there. That seemed like an unusually large line to set in a game like that, uh, which which is what kept me away from it. I mean, you know, you're just figuring, how am I getting, you know, the number seven team who hasn't lost yet, and I'm getting nine or eight and a half points, whatever it was. Uh, so good good pick by you for having the guts to, you know, not shy away from it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I just uh, felt like if Wisconsin doesn't get on you early and blow you out in a the game, then, you know, you've got a good chance with a number that. And then Auburn, uh, we talked about, they've just been on an absolute roll. And, you know, I didn't feel like Ole Miss was built uh, defensively to really hang with what it is Auburn has been able to do lately. I mean, Miss, Miss, Ole Miss is just not a physical football team. And I really felt like Auburn would take it to them. Um, I thought maybe Auburn would get a little separation in this game earlier. But as it turns out, it kind of played out with what I'm saying here, just Auburn being a more physical team. Um, late in this game, just Ole Miss has been beat down and, and run over, and Auburn goes out, rolls up 316 yards rushing uh, in the game, and end up getting me to cover there. So I go to two and one. I think that puts me at what's that, 15 and 12 uh, on the yeah, season. Yeah, you're doing a nice job there. 15 and 12. Uh, you know, you're well above what you need to the percentage to uh, make money uh, there. You're, you're you're at like almost 56 percent. So good good job. And lately, you've been hot. So very good. Yeah, yeah, I feel a little bit of a slow start, starting to get my act together with this. I don't know if you saw this, Amo, but it's kind of breaking news. Um, Colts wide receiver, but longtime Houston Texans wide receiver, Andre Johnson, is going to call it a career after 13 years. Um, you know, so, so anti what receivers are in terms of demeanor this year. Uh, I mean, this in, for his career is that, you know, so he may be a guy that goes unnoticed, but his his – his on-field production is undeniable. I just, you know, I'm going to be interested to see how he's treated you know, when it comes time for a Hall of Fame votes. You know, never made it to a Super Bowl, never um, really did anything meaningful, the teams that he played for in the postseason. But year after year, consistently, you know, bringing hell to, to opposing uh, defenses and um, was just a physical – um, specimen out there that just imposed his will um, and, uh, you know, the, the thing that he's probably going to be remembered for the most was beating the hell out of uh, you know, a Titans defensive back, Cortland Finnegan. Well, uh, I, think we say, how, I think we say how, how we say well, we say well done, first of all. Great career. Um, I don't think you can hold all that other stuff against him in terms of a Hall of Fame vote. First of all, he spent his whole career at the Houston Texans, who basically, when he when he started there, were, were an expansion franchise. So, you know, it, it's hard to expect a guy to roll up playoff wins in Super Bowls. I look and I say the guy's a seven-time Pro Bowl selection, seven times 
went over 1,000 yards receiving in his career. A couple others where he was on the precipice of 1,000 yards, like 970s, 950s. So, I mean, 14,000 career receiving yards, over 1,000 receptions. I don't know how you don't put him in the Hall of Fame. First ballot? Pardon? First ballot? Oh, I don't know about first ballot. I, I try not to get into that. I mean, you know, it's hard with receivers anymore because since we were, you know, I have to learn to recalibrate my brain to the current rules, so it's hard. But he played a good chunk of his career before we got to the point of when you blow on the receiver, it's a penalty, which, you know, started about, you know, back half of the 2000s. So, uh, I mean, 14,000 receiving yards. I don't know if it's first ballot, but it's soon. I mean, he, he shouldn't be having, he shouldn't be sitting around a long time waiting for that call. Yeah. Um, you know, I just look at Chris Carter and some of what he's gone through, um, went through. Um, so, you know, you just, you're just wondering there. Andre Johnson leaves this game, number 10 on the all time um, yards. Um, in terms of receiving yards, uh, ahead of him, Steve Smith, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, Tim Brown, Tony Gonzalez, Isaac Bruce, Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, who's uh, still trying to get in, and uh, the GOAT, Jerry Rice, uh, an impressive list, just, you know, before him and right after him, so um, certainly in a Yeah, I, I, I think at some point you have to, in football especially, we're going to have to learn uh, I've always said this, you know that, and I think you, you you probably have agreed with me over the years we've talked about this. You have to compare players against their peer groups when they played, especially in football. You can't take a quarterback, let's say, from the mid-'90s and try to compare any of their numbers to today. You just can't. I mean, the quarterback ratings today, if, you're not, if you don't have an 80 quarterback rating overall, you basically stink in today's game. Now, you can go back and look when, when Favre was running around, even in Aikman. There were years those guys that have 83, 84 quarterback ratings, and they had great seasons because they allowed more contact with receivers and all, and all the stuff we've talked about. So I think we all have to just learn, let's compare guys in their peer group. And this guy was a seven-time Pro Bowl selection. As I said, seven 1,000-yard seasons, a big-time player. So for me, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, um, and, you know, I feel pretty confident that uh, the greater minds will prevail and that no one will have any reason to keep Andre Johnson out. But let's talk about some on-the-field action this weekend. I talked about, um, you know, you, you hit on Jimbo Fisher not trying to give the football to Dalvin the way that he should in a contest like that. I agree with you that 100%, but he wasn't the only one um, feeling his guru-ness and having his team suffer Ironically, this team also suffered a very close loss with almost a similar score. You know who I'm talking about, Abel? The, who are you talking about? Help the me. The Green Bay Packers. In a game oh, which boy. You yeah. probably had to lead for the majority of the game, um, you certainly had to lead longer than Atlanta did. The Green Bay Packers, and granted, you have some running back missing, but you got to find a way to run the football. Aaron Rodgers was your leading rusher for the Green Bay Packers on Saturday, on Sunday, in their game against the Atlanta Falcons. He was also the leading carrier, six carries for Aaron Rodgers for 60 yards. So if you eliminate the 60 yards Aaron Rodgers had, which were from scrambling because you don't call quarterback draws for Aaron Rodgers, the rest of the running back squad had a grand total angle of 13 carries in this football game. 
13 carries and amassed all of 48 yards. You want to know why the Packers have problems? It's, you, know, you can't go on and on about the receiving core. You can't go on and on about what Rodgers do. It's just that you have a total refusal to run the football. And it's the guru. Well, and it's not just – I think you're hitting on Green Bay because everybody's trying to figure out, hey, what's wrong with the Packers? But I see this pervasively now every Sunday when I watch games in the NFL. When we get to our pick section – we're going to talk a little bit more, but San Diego is no different. You know, every Sunday I hear, uh, you know, San Diego will tell you how they almost won, could have won, uh, should have won, and that's basically probably 20 teams every Sunday that thinks they should have won a football game. And let me tell you something. San Diego does the same thing Green Bay does. I mean, I see this every game, Chad, where I'm just sitting there scratching my head saying, it, what, is it illegal to run the football? Yeah, what is, what is the deal? Even in, all right, the New Orleans Saints pulled off of an upset on Sunday, beating the Seattle Seahawks. The New Orleans Saints have Drew Brees. I, I mean, who likes throwing the ball more than um, Drew Brees, Sean Payton? But you know what? In their upset win over the Seattle Seahawks, the New Orleans Saints ran the football 35 times. I mean, that's how you get it done, especially when you've got a lead in a football. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's one of the things that kind of uh, over the years gets swept under the rug with the Saints. But even if you look at those years where they had fairly dominant years going in Breeze Prime, Sean Payton's run the ball more than people think he has. Hmm. You know, they get the perception of throwing the ball over the place because Breeze has passed for 5,000 yards several times. But in in their years where they were winning, Sean Payton, you go back and look, they ran the ball. Now, they may not have led the league in running, but they were a top-ten team, I bet you. Yeah, um, so, you know, they get it done doing that, but once again, it's the Packers pissing away a win. Um, You want to throw the ball around, and you want to keep giving it to a really hot quarterback like, you know, Matty Ice, and you get what you got. Uh, Matt Ryan also comes up with a strong performance, 28 of 35, 288, three touchdowns, and, um, yeah. You know, you take an L once again, and it's going to be a game, I think, that the Packers will look back on at the end of the season and wish that it went a different way because it's probably going to cost them some, uh, you know, uh, a home game or all home games in the uh, in, in the NFC. Oh, home game. Hey, listen, let's not pencil them in. The Packers, you know, the NFC is really tough. I mean, like we, we, we've hit on the Eastern Division where not one team is under 500, okay? So you're going to have your four division winners. That wild card is going to be hairy. I mean, you've got teams. You know, it, it, you got Arizona sitting at three, four, and with a push, they have a tie there. I mean, it's going to be tight for the Packers. They're going to need every win to get into the playoffs. The way it's looking right now. Yeah, I mean, it is going to get tight. I, just, I have a feeling Minnesota is going to run into some trouble here. I think the fact that you don't have a running game is going to end up being a problem for them. But you're right, uh, Giants. Philadelphia and Washington all tied in terms of record with Green Bay. So some teams are going to stay home, but the Packers uh, could certainly be sitting here at five and two today if they would just learn to turn around and hand the ball to someone that's a running back. Or you know what? Go find yourself a running back. These guys are supposed to be pretty good in the draft. Go find yourself a running back if Eddie Lacy can't lose weight and stay. Well, let me let me ask you this, and I don't know if you got a chance to see this, but this was a, a set of plays and and. I don't like to 
I, I like to look at the situation, not one play, because, you know, you can always say, oh, on fourth down, they should have thrown it, they should have run it. The, the Chargers were playing at the Broncos yesterday, for those not following along. The Broncos had a 27-19 lead late in that game, and as San Diego often does, they go down the field, and they got the ball, you know, with two and a half, three minutes left in the game, first and goal on the Denver two-yard line. And they've got two or three timeouts left, and there's two and a half, three minutes left. So at this point, if you put it in the end zone, probably the game's going to be decided on the two-point conversion, whether you send it to overtime or not. So in my mind, you set everything up around that. You're not in a hurry, okay? First and goal on the two. Melvin Gordon's having a hell of a game, by the way, 23 carries, 111 yards. They call four pass plays from the two-yard line. Sure. Sure. Four. I, I actually was listening. To, I was in route traveling and was listening to that, and I was just stunned at it. You know, you really did. I was it. sitting there watching it, sh- shaking my head. I had to go for another bourbon, Chad. I had to get another drink. Yeah, un- unbelievable. All right. Uh, let's, it turns out we're running down. I can't believe the time got away from us here on, uh, on this show. So let's quickly recap the picks. I'm going to do mine really fast. I went with the Houston Texans. We got the – uh, sort of easy win for me over the Lions. I went with the Cowboys, um, and they pulled a, a rabbit out of a hat for me last night. Got the got the victory there for me. Covered the number, and then I took. They couldn't get the job done for me, and it was a due in large part to what you just talked about. I ended up two and one. What's my record in the NFL? Twelve wins, eleven losses, and a push. And overall, on the year combined, you're twenty-seven, twenty-three, one push. You, we, we'll get to my record. You have a seven and a half game lead on me now. Let me cover mine down quickly. I'll start yeah, with San Diego. No need to elab. Pardon? You got twenty seconds to wrap that up. So talk like the FedEx man. San Diego's a loser. I got them. My winner was the Saints. I called for the upset on Seattle. They got it done for me. And I took a tough, tough loss on the Cincinnati Bengals. Couldn't even get a push there. They tied the Redskins in London. I'm 9-14 and a push in the pros. Overall, uh, 19 wins, 30 losses, a couple pushes. Oh, boy, I need a a hot streak. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know what? We'll recap the fantasy football focus when we uh, get back on our Football Friday show. We got to run, man. We'd like to thank you all for listening to the Weekend Rap Show. For Emil Calamine, I'm Chad Wilson. Thanks for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. We'll be back. I'll be back tomorrow. This is the end. Beautiful prayer. This is the end. 